welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Battle Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, we are coming at you with another episode of our divisional preview series. It's going to be week two, where we preview the Seattle Seahawks. We are indeed going in reverse order of how we think they're going to finish. And we've got Brandon from the Seahawkers podcast on this week. It's going to be a great episode. It's coming at you a little bit later. And uh, and yeah, getting used to David being in uh, in Pittsburgh. Weird still, actually. I don't know. I'm not used to it yet. I'm my, not used to it either. My like, I still my audio is all weird, and I don't like that I like echo in my own headphones, um, which nobody else has to deal with me. So nobody else gives a shit. I'm sure it's hopefully it sounds great, at least on your guys' end. Um, it sounds wonderful. Yeah, I mean that's I guess really all that matters. But whatever. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird, but we're we're getting there. I think we're getting settled in a little bit. Yep, definitely getting settled. Although I do, um, my new catchphrase apparently now when we uh, get synced up is that we have to give each other the clap. Yeah, we got to clap. So we have separate audio tracks, right? Again, not in the same room. Real strange. We got to clap so we can sync those up. Uh, I mean, there's no other. Uh, like, it, it's definitely not above us to make that joke. No, not us. at all. There, no, look, there aren't many jokes above us, especially when they have to deal with the crotchial region. Like, I feel like that's our specialty. Really, what, what, what is the Better Rivals podcast known for? What, what is our, our claim to fame? One, Johnson jokes. All manner of Johnson jokes. And two, uh, really is, is accuracy and pronunciation. Yeah, not being I feel able like to pronounce even a single thing. No, <laughs> no, 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 of course. And, and then, of course, there's this. Which is also good. I mean, I so, think that covers it. Those three yeah. things. That's pretty yeah. much the that's, only that's, reason yeah. here. That's the Holy Trinity of the Better Rivals podcast right there. Uh, so let's get into the rundown because we have an actual game to review here in just a little bit. But first, let's get to the rundown. Of course, at this point of the year, it's going to be injuries. And so off the top, Bryce Treggs is dealing with an MCL injury. He was someone that a lot of people had some high hopes for. And now he's looking like... If he was already kind of a long shot to make the roster before an, a, an MCL injury in the final two weeks of the preseason for the, what's probably going to take him out for about two to three weeks is is not good. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, even with a wide receiver depth chart that was unsettled as the one the 49ers have, I mean, he wasn't somebody that was likely to make the roster. So having to unfortunately deal with this sort of injury like you know, maybe you hope to stash somebody like that on the practice squad uh, or, or something like that. But uh, it was it was always unlikely that he was going to make the roster and do anything of note this year. Well, this is someone who I think I tweeted out a little bit later or maybe I posted it on some Facebook group that I'm on. Uh, but I think this is one of those cases where if if I'm Bryce Treggs, I'm saying Trent Balky, do your thing and put me on IR. Uh, and, and do that thing where you stash a rookie wide receiver that needs a year to develop on injured reserve. Um, because this is a player really that, you know, he has some upside, sure. Um, but he was a, a later round pick uh, he was a wide receiver out of Cal. Um, and, and so, yeah, I was going to say, no, he's an undrafted, yeah. right? This is an undrafted free agent. Get me on, on that roster for a year. Give me another year to, to, to develop and then hopefully come and actually do some things. Because if he tries to come back too early from that injury, it, it's just not going to end well. And, and if he can't crack, this wide receiver core, right? Then, then, then again, you have to begin to wonder about how likely he is to stick somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously it's unfortunate because I think there were some people that were, you know, kind of high on him and, and were hoping that he might 
develop into something. But uh, again, this year wasn't likely for that to happen. And so, you know, maybe this works out for the best if uh, the injury makes it less likely that another team is willing to snatch him up and, and that we can stash him on the practice squad for a year. You know, maybe we do down the road see him develop into something uh, a little bit more. But for right now, I mean, this this certainly isn't changing anything for the, the coming season. So the next story then in the rundown is really going to be all about the offensive line. Anthony Davis has been working extensively at right guard. He took nearly all of the first team snaps at the right guard position away from Andrew Tiller. He got all but three of the first team snaps. So at this point, and I think, uh, and I re- if I remember the quote correctly from last week, it was David who said, and I, I think I'm quoting this accurately, yeah, there's no way that Anthony Davis doesn't win that right tackle job. I think that was about I mean, exactly that was what you said. Pretty much it. Yeah, it was that I I certainly thought that he was the starting right tackle at this point. Like with what we saw from him, you know, in, in the first week, and and again with preseason, and we talked about this before, kind of the the game started. But really, you're you're focused more on individual performance than any sort of team or scheme based things, and you're also focused a little bit more on new players and younger players, right? Like, uh, it, veteran players, like Navarro Bowman, I don't give a shit what he does in the preseason. Like, it's not going to change my opinion of what he is as a player, right? I'm going to wait till we see something in the regular season to, to move that needle one direction or another. But with Anthony Davis, ha- with him having missed a year, like, you wanted to see where is he at compared to where we last saw him. And in that first game, you kind of got some confirmation, I felt, that okay, he's athletically and uh, like where he was before. And, and I think that uh, once he shakes a little bit of the rust off, like it's it's going to be fine, right? Like he's going to be the player that we expected him to be before. Um, and now, so he, I mean, he tweeted out about this, about how he felt Trent Brown was essentially the better option at right tackle. And that's what led to him volunteering to take those right guard snaps. And, you know, again, it with, if whatever gets the best five out there is is ultimately what's going to be best for this team i'm just a little kind of shocked that 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 involves putting anthony davis potentially at right guard well i'm shocked because i don't know right now that anthony davis is a better right guard option than andrew tiller andrew tiller has been a player that has performed well when he was in the preseason last year, he was one of the he was the 49ers highest rated highest rated guard, and he was one of the higher rated guards in the league based on Pro Football Focus's charting. You zoom to him replacing Jordan Devi, and he closed out the year again very well graded, very highly ranked. And now you move into this season, he's doing really good things in the preseason. He is pancaking some fools. I tweeted out a vine last in the first preseason game. He's been holding up well in the preseason. And again, this preseason is one of the better ranked guards in the NFL. And, and he's got a clean sheet, I think, in pass protection for the 49ers so far. So you're talking about a guy who's been practicing playing the right guard position. And, and now you're taking a guy who, yes, is talented, but he's got to learn a little bit of a new position, albeit on the right side. And and I just don't I, I don't know how this all plays out to get the top five because the wild card in all this is Joshua Garnett, who is a first round pick. We traded up to get Joshua Garnett in the first round, and you're you're hoping to play him at left guard. So does that mean that Andrew Tiller now becomes a backup? 
it, it just it, it, there's a lot of things I think that really confuse me in moving Anthony Davis to the right guard spot. Yeah, it's it's really kind of strange. I mean, the the one thing that I feel pretty confident in is when you're talking about like best five, the players that I know are in the best five are obviously Joe Staley. We don't need to talk about him. I feel like Josh Garnett and Anthony Davis are also, you know, pretty clearly in that top five. So that leaves your two spots. Kilgore is obviously going to be the center. I don't really think there's any uh, sort of competition there. And so it really comes down to, are you going to put Anthony Davis at tackle and look at somebody like Andrew Tiller over a Zane Beatles at guard? Or are you going to put Anthony Davis now apparently at right guard and look at Trent Brown as the, as the right tackle. So which of those combinations gets you your best five? I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think I would probably at this point prefer the Anthony Davis at right tackle and the Andrew Tiller or Zane Beatles, whoever wins that job, um, you know, as the other guard. I, to me, that's kind of where I would lean a little bit, but I don't know. I mean, obviously, Anthony Davis himself feels pretty high on Trent Brown and, and his ability and, uh, you know, what he might be able to develop into. Um, but I don't, I don't know. It's it's certainly a kind of unexpected turn with this offensive line. Well, we're, we're going to get to the arrow up, arrow down section of the game review, but we'll we'll give a little teaser in terms of at least what I think is one of the arrow ups early. And that was that Von Miller didn't really get after the quarterback when Trent Brown was in the game. And, and that's not nothing. Again, we talk about the preseason. This is not a chance to gloat on score. This is not like, oh my God, we beat the Broncos. That must mean something good. No, it doesn't. That part doesn't matter. What does matter is the one-on-one matchup between Trent, Trent Brown and Von Miller. And maybe it was because of the practice reps that they got against each other. But there were a couple plays where he absolutely stonewalled him. And I think that Chip Kelly, and he made reference to this in his press conference, I think he likes Trent Brown's size. I think he likes that he's a big dude who can go up against big defensive ends and, and has the power and strength to, to be a wall on that right side, even if his feet aren't perhaps necessarily as quick as Anthony Davis's. I mean, that's, that's the thing you got to worry about, right? Is, okay, does the strength that he has... Uh, outweigh a potential lack of athleticism, right? Like uh, that strength doesn't do him a lot of good if you have guys that are running by him. So they obviously have to weigh that. I mean, it was, I, I certainly before kind of the preseason started, didn't think that he was going to be, you know, quite as quite athletic enough to, to really fill that role and kind of take that I didn't job. think so either. Um, I mean, I, th- I thought that would have definitely have been a surprise. So if that's how it ends up working out, I mean, that's credit to him. I mean, certainly Chip Kelly knows what he needs from that offensive line, and he knows what sort of athleticism is required for those positions. And if Trent Brown's a guy, then, you know, we'll obviously roll with that for a little bit. Well, what I do know is at the very least, this is a recipe for successful offensive line play in the future, because I think... I could see an easier world in 2017, 2018, where maybe Joe Staley retires or something else happens and and Anthony Davis moves over into that left tackle spot. And now you've got an offensive line of Anthony Davis at left tackle, Joshua Garnett at left guard, Kilgore, who again is still a really young center. He's only played, I think, what, 18 or 16 games overall in his career in part due to injury. So even though I think he's somewhere near 28 in terms of age, 
He doesn't have a lot of tread on the tires outside of, I guess, the Platon's leg. But you, <laughs> no tread, a lot of metal. Tread, a lot uh, of plates. And, <laughs> and then you've got a, uh, you know, a right guard in Andrew Tiller and a right tackle in Trent Brown. If we could zoom forward a year or two, I think this team has an offensive line that could gel and perform in one or two years. But in the meantime, you have the potential for Joshua Garnett, who's a first-round pick, not starting. Or you have the potential for Anthony Davis, who has a high contract value, not starting. And uh, and so either way, I think it's it's a good problem to have, right? Champagne problems. You're talking about how you get really good offensive linemen on a, on a field Whereas last year we were talking about freaking tuba players. So it's definitely, you know, a, a change and it's a good change, but it's still something the team is going to have to figure out. Yeah, that's that's the thing that I think is the biggest takeaway from all of this compared to last year, right? Is that the fact that we're talking about legitimate battles for some of these positions on the offensive line is such a huge swing where, where it's just like, okay, we can't get more than two competent players like in this entire thing. Like, and it's just the rest of it's a disaster. Um, it doesn't matter who's in there because everybody on the roster is terrible. Like the fact that we've come so far from that and that we think this offensive line might be able to be competent this year. And we have like quality options at most, you know, at least, at least you have NFL caliber players that are at some of these positions with the option to maybe have some, some decent depth options there. So, uh, it's, it's certainly nice to be in this position as close to one we're in last year. So the offensive line is definitely going to be something that you're going to want to watch all year. And it will be interesting to see what the final starting five is here for the 49ers because they are indeed battles. They are indeed uh, going to be interesting or it will have interesting ramifications for the rest of the season and really into the future. So it's something to watch. But let's get into the review of the Denver Broncos game. This was a game that actually was a little fun to watch, even though it wasn't the best football on the field per se. Um, I had my preseason laptop all set up at my in-laws in Fort Worth because we went to go visit them. So I had a poop set up of a 13-inch MacBook Air streaming over 3 megabit internet. I know that my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law don't listen to this, so I can go ahead and speak freely about the god-awful bullshit internet that they have over there in Fort Worth. But, dude, we literally had to take all the devices off of Wi-Fi in the house so that I could stream this game while we were eating dinner. Like, it's like that. I felt like I was in a Verizon commercial or something. That's not okay. Having internet that bad in 2016 is not okay. No, dude, like, you you couldn't watch Netflix and, like, get on Facebook at the same time. I Like, it's 2016. We're in the United States of America. I did not think... That was a thing Especially that in, actually like, happened in in Dallas, like Fort Worth area. Like what? Well, it is. It was like a new subdivision in Fort Worth, which for those of y'all that are not familiar with Texas, basically means that it was a giant field of nothing about a year ago, and they built brand new homes that they're charging you three hundred thousand for because Texas. So you know, it it is kind of out in the sticks, but nevertheless, it was just, it, God, it was, I'm glad that I was able to stream the game and that they were all understanding. And then they were all like, yes, we know it's okay. You can watch this game. And I'm like, thank you. You know, um, I, didn't, I didn't even watch the game live to be honest. I watched it the next day. Um, yeah. But I mean, general observations, we always start with general observations when we're reviewing the games. And, and of course, off the top really is going to be the quarterbacks. And while they combined for solid numbers, this was another game where they did not look all that impressive. Yeah, I mean, that was one thing that uh, I kind of took away that 
you I feel like a lot of the conversation after that game was around like how well these guys performed and it wasn't, you know, anything like t- completely unreasonable like that these guys are amazing and that that, that everything's going to be great this year, but people were seem to be generally impressed and you look at the combined line. So obviously we had Gabbard, Driscoll and Ponder play in that game. They had combined for a line of 19 to 24 for 216 which works out to a a 9.2 yard per attempt average. Uh, with the one touchdown from Ponder and no interception. So uh, as as a combined line, I mean, obviously that's very impressive. But when you look at the individual throws and, and the type of throws that they were making in that game, there there wasn't a lot to be impressed by. I mean, you start with Gabbert. We've talked uh, at, at length at this point about how he just continues to check down at seemingly every moment, um, continues to throw short on third down. There were a couple of a uh, couple of plays early where actually in a similar concept. So the snag concept, which uh, we talked about earlier this offseason when looking at Chip Kelly's offense, where essentially you have someone in the flat, someone to the corner, and then someone running this kind of short curl, uh, like like hitch route type of thing. Um, and generally that sort of concept is read deep to short. So you start with the corner, come back down to that kind of angled curl route, and then finally in into the flat. And in two different cases on that, he went um, basically immediately to the flat. One of them on third down, uh, which came on the second drive. Uh, so, so it was just like he's not really willing to look to push the ball downfield. And I know Chip Kelly made some comments, and of course you wouldn't expect anything different from him uh, when it comes to these press conference comments. Um, about like you know him not taking sacks and and how getting any sort of uh, yardage or even just throwing the ball away is better than taking a sack in some of those situations and sure that's fine but uh, eventually you want to see him look to push the ball downfield so you know it was uh, it was it was kind of rough watching him and you look at even in the other guys and and there just weren't that many impressive throws like nothing to really get you uh, overly excited about this quarterback. Well, for Gabbert, this is a pattern, right? Because we identified something similar last week where that first third down play, he didn't have pressure and he went beneath the sticks. Really, he went to his running back and and missed the throw altogether, but didn't have pressure, had receivers running deep routes, didn't wait for those routes to develop and immediately got happy feet and went to his running back and didn't even complete it because he wasn't accurate on that throw. And, And this is not something that is unique to Gabbert this year. This is something that we also saw last year. And, and this is not, this is something that isn't likely to change from one week to the next or one season to the next. This is the Gabbert that we know and love. He's going to continue to check down. And, and so this quarterback group as a whole, and I know you're going to get into Driscoll and Ponder here, um, but really the only other uh, thing I wanted to say was that I kind of lost track of what you were saying for a minute because I was trying to put all three quarterback names together. And, and I think I've done it. Uh, it's it's and I think this will be the call to action. We're going to go ahead and call it early. It's uh, hashtag Gabdrapond. Gabdrapond. Because not only not only is that in depth chart order, uh, but it's also, it, you know, it's Gabdrapond. It has a nice ring to it. I thought for a second maybe it was Pondragab. But I like what about the Gabisker. No, Gabisker. <laughs> no, I don't like Gabisker. That's like Nabisco. I don't like, you know, this, this is not a snack cracker. This is not a Ritz cracker. The, the, we're talking about three mediocre quarterbacks at <laughs> differing kind. 
at, at, at differing stages of their careers. This is like the same problem we had with the wide receivers a couple years ago where it was like Anquan Bolden, Stevie Johnson, and Michael Crabtree. All, all the same. same wide receiver at different stages of their career, and that is Gabdrapond. That is what this is. <laughs> I mean, See? It, just, it flows off the tongue, doesn't it? It just Gabdrapond. I mean, flows off the tongue is strong, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, you look at the other guys, right? Like you look at Driscoll and uh, it was same story. Accuracy was a problem, right? Uh, he, he did, I think, look a little bit better than we saw from them in the Texans game. But then um, stripes, though. Right. He's got the, the solid stripes on the sleeves there, the full stripes, which is nice. Uh, but even on, you know, some of the deep completions that he has, like you look at the ball placement on that and right and especially when you're looking at these quarterbacks that are playing against the second and third team defenses, like ball placement's a big deal because you can't really focus on the completions because the quality of competition isn't as high. So, right. Where is the, where's the ball being placed relative to where the defense at, is at, or you like, you might expect it to be against the first team. And when you look at, at some of the passes that Driscoll had, it was underthrown passes. The one that he had, uh, I think the first big play that he had uh, on the the deep crossing route there, like the receiver, and I, I forget who exactly it was. It might have been Treggs, actually. Um, kind of had to to spin around and jump up and make the catch, right? And that's a big play, and that's that's great. But does that happen? Does he does he make that completion against a first team defense, right? Against somebody that might be in a little bit better position. Same thing with Ponder. I mean, what we saw from him was a little tough to to really evaluate because. Obviously, having the short week and just barely joining the team, like a lot of the route concepts were were, were very limited for preseason. Like we really well, saw. I think the line. I think the what they said was that he knew like twenty plays, right? And that and, and that was it, it. And that obviously makes sense. And and that's not to detract from him or, or or make that a negative on him in any way. Like it just makes it a little bit more difficult to evaluate the type of throws that he had because. And that's probably not twenty different unique concepts. That's no. probably like five to seven concepts from three different formations a piece. Like you're, you're talking about not 20 unique plays. You're talking about just a few concepts. And, and that really kind of showed in the way that in, in the route combinations that you saw the wide receivers run when he was in the game. Yeah. I mean, you saw a lot of just kind of like quick hitches to the outside that he threw early on. Um, and even the deep TD pass, right? You look again, ball location. Uh, it was, really badly underthrown. Like if that's a, a first team cornerback or even a cornerback that's going to make the roster that's, that's defending on that play, like that gets knocked down if not picked because that, that receiver who was running kind of the deep post on the play um, had to, to basically stop and, and make the adjustment to get that. Ball. So and he was just lucky that the defense was so out of position that it didn't really matter. But again, that's not going to tra- somebody uh, doing that in the fourth quarter of a preseason game against guys that likely aren't going to be on the roster isn't the same thing as making that throw uh, in a regular season game, right? Like, that's likely an interception. That's likely something that when we're looking back on that week, it, we're, we're pointing out as being a terrible throw. So it just goes to show, like those are the type of things you need to consider in preseason. And so while the numbers, you know, at the end of the day look pretty good, especially as a kind of combined unit there, I just didn't see a lot of thing that changes my perception of this quarterback group or makes me any more optimistic about how things could look going forward in the regular season. So moving on from the quarterbacks, if you look at some of the other general observations from the game, really it was about the defensive backfield. And this is a defensive backfield that 
is beginning to look a little crowded. I think you have Chris Davis, who's emerging as the favorite for that slot or nickel cornerback position. You've got Dante Johnson, who, despite all of the Johnson jokes, is someone that both you and I have been very high on, uh, both from last season and this season. Eric Reed had a pick six, which was a great break on a ball that from hurdle. his safety position. What? Yeah, dude. So I did not know that he was on the LSU track team and that, that he, and that he ran hurdles. And and so it was. I think it was Taylor Price who tweeted out a picture that showed him, and it com- it compared like his LSU hurdling days and and his uh, his hurdle in, in the preseason. But yeah, that's uh, that's some athleticism. I think is what they call that. And uh, Prince Charles Awara had a pretty you know had a pretty good game. And we're going to talk about some of the other ones that uh, are, are going to go into our arrow up section. But this is again, if you think of the offensive line, and you're like, okay, last season. You've got Jordan Tuba player Devi and Eric Pierce pairs starting at the right at the right tackle and right guard position, and Marcus Martin is basically on roller skates all game. Last week or last year, you had a defensive backfield that was like, wait, who's Kenneth Acker and why is a you know fifth or seventh round pick starting at, at the cornerback position? And you've got Tremaine Brock, who might be the number two corner on most teams, playing on as really the number one on our team again kind of thing you had you flipped the script a bit now you've got this infusion of talent where good players are probably going to get cut and there are legitimate battles at the defensive back position to the point where one of the corners that started 13 games for us last year that's Kenneth Acker is probably not going to make the team yeah I mean to me this is definitely where you know I should be focused on defense, right? I think so many people, for whatever reason, are, are fixated on who's going to play at the other inside linebacker spot next to Navarro Bowman. And the reality is it just doesn't matter that much. Like, it, it's just not a big deal whoever ends up getting slotted at that position because they're not going to be on the field that much. Like, it's far more important to look at how this defensive backfield shakes out and which cornerbacks are going to be uh, available and make the roster and and I think the fact that it seems to be a strong you know a strongish group and again there's a lot of unknown here and it, it's still just the preseason and we don't want to get a little overzealous with our our praise uh, for some of these players but there certainly are a lot of young players that do have some potential that that could develop into quality options there and I think the out the out that group is certainly much better than what we're looking at at that other inside linebacker position, and that's great because those are the players that are likely to see the field more often than whoever is lining up next to Bowman. I mean, yeah, they're going to be on the field in base situations and in run situations, but as we've talked about so much, like the nickel and your sub packages are really your base defense. That's what you spend the majority of time in. Most defenses around the league spend roughly like 60 percent, two thirds of their time in that that sort of nickel sub package look. And so it's really about that fifth defensive back or when you have when you're the 49ers and you have somebody like Jaquaski Tart, right, who can kind of play that sort of safety linebacker hybrid uh, and really fill in at that other inside linebacker position when teams when opposing teams go to three, four wide receivers. Like those are the guys you're going to see on the field for majority of snaps. So uh, yeah, I I think at least I'm based on what we're seeing in this preseason. I'm certainly encouraged by how that defensive backfield is looking. And then finally, before we get to arrow up and arrow down, we are going to 
really just mention one thing that I think has been kind of said a little bit, but it's probably going to be a, a bigger deal and it's going to be something to keep uh, an eye on over the course of the year. And that's just the percentage of plays in which we're blitzing. This is a Jim O'Neill defense that is born of the Rex Ryan blitz package heavy defenses that he's been able to wield with success both in New York and with Buffalo. And now we're seeing a really, really blitz-heavy scheme in the preseason with the 49ers. The, if you look at their, just our first four plays, and I'll, I'll admit, the first four, the first four plays is, a, is really an arbitrary number. I arrived at that number mostly because that's when I stopped watching the game because I had a work to do. Um, and, <laughs> and my chief customer officer was like, oh, I'm going to let you get back to watching your football clips, but I'm going to ask you for this one thing. And I was like, all right, I better shut this down. Um, so, <laughs> so first four plays, but I was, I was beginning to chart the plays and I didn't get to all, all of them, obviously, but you've got a 50% blitz rate over the first four plays. It was like blitz, not blitz, blitz, not blitz. It seemed like every other play they were coming on a blitz. And I think that's because if you think of the preseason again, what are you meant to do? You're meant to practice what you're going to do over the course of the season. And that's not to say that they're going to have a 50% blitz rate over the course of the year. That's a little absurd. But they are practicing the different blitz packages that they're installing over the course of the year. And so this is going to be a blitz-happy defense, a defense where you're going to see more often than not a linebacker or Chris Davis more than likely coming right at the quarterback in some kind of pressure package. And what they ended up with in that game was was right around 40% uh, in, in terms of the, the blitz percentage there. Um, and I think that's not too far off from what we should expect going forward, like in the regular season. So one of the, especially with Aaron Lynch out, right, getting pressure is going to be, you know, a little difficult for this team, I think. I mean, we're certainly high on... Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner's ability to kind of get after the passer on the interior, but it's hard to to get consistent like pressure and sacks when that's all you've got, right? When you don't have really any threats on the edge as well. Uh, and once you remove Aaron Lynch from the equation, at least for those first four games, like it's it's not super bright when you look at a lot of the 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 edge players there. So I think in order to create pressure on the quarterback early in the season, especially they're, they're going to have to rely on the, the blitz. Like they're going to have to bring extra guys uh, and, and kind of get a little creative with their pressure packages. So I think something, you know, a little above 40% makes a lot of sense for this defense, uh, you know, especially again early on. Maybe that tames a little bit once you get Aaron Lynch back and, and you kind of see how, uh, you know, guys like Tank Carradine, guys like Eli Harold have, uh, developed and and look in that role um, when Aaron Lynch isn't around to kind of help them out. Um, you know, maybe that changes a little bit, and you don't have to rely on it quite as much. But I I do think this is a team that ends up uh, blitzing at an above league average rate this year. So let's talk about the individual performances against the Denver Broncos because you had a couple that were very notable. The first is going to be our arrow up section, and the leader of the arrow up section this week is going to be none other than one Mr. Marcus. Yes, my name is a pun, Rush. And he had three sacks, four hurries, and while it came against the Denver backups, he was definitely a man among boys at the latter part of the game. And that's exactly what you want from a player in the preseason. You want good players to dominate and absolutely destroy inferior competition. 
That's what really good players do. And it seemed like Marcus Rush was having a field day against lesser competition at the latter phases of the game. Yeah, I mean, we didn't get to see him uh, really with any snaps against the starters, but three sacks and four hurries, I mean, seven total pressures uh, in in one game is pretty impressive. Uh, that actually is enough for him to lead us. Uh, Jeff Dini from Pro Football Focus tweet this out today. Those seven pressures are actually leading the league so far in the, the through the first two weeks of the preseason. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it came on forty seven or four excuse me forty three snaps, uh, and he ended up with the highest grade by a pretty significant margin among Pro Football Focus uh, grades uh, with edge rushers this week. So it was it was impressive. I mean, I don't think when you look at that uh, depth chart there at outside linebacker that he really fits in as somebody that's going to stick there for the entire season. But I yeah, think I when mean, you've you got Aaron Lynch, Tank Carradine, you've got who's on the other side, Brooks uh, Ahmad and Brooks, Eli, Eli Harold, and yeah. you usually only carry four uh, at like maximum five. But at the point at which you're carrying five, you've got to cut somewhere else. Um, and I, no, and I, I think, think when you look at this team, like carrying an extra defensive back makes a little bit more sense than carrying an extra outside linebacker. Right. Yeah, or carrying an extra wide receiver because remember this is a team that under Jim Harbaugh and even Jim Tomsula only carried five wide receivers. Now you're potentially carrying seven uh, because Chip Kelly likes to carry six, and and you think about maybe an extra wide receiver in there. So yeah, the the, the outside linebacker role does not look like a place where you can carry an extra person unless maybe someone is suspended for four weeks and you've got a four week reprieve. Right. That's that's the question, I think, with Marcus Rush is, OK, he may not be quite good enough to to make the full time roster and, and stick throughout the entire season. But with Aaron Lynch suspended, is that enough for him to kind of grab that fourth outside linebacker spot uh, and get a get a spot for a few weeks, at least on the 53 man roster? I mean, he was somebody that I, I know draft Twitter actually likes a lot. Uh, you know, we've seen some decent things from him. Uh, it last year in the preseason. Um, so he's a player that's it's kind of interesting, I guess, as far as undrafted free agents go. But uh, when you look at a performance like that, I think that's the question you have to start to ask yourself. Is that enough for him to secure a roster spot, even temporarily while Aaron Lynch is out? And then next you've got Richard, feed me a cheeseburger, Robinson. I'm just going to give all <laughs> these fools nicknames. I'm just going to start adding like little monkeys. I'm going to start calling you Chris Berman. I well, you know what? I'm okay with that. If I can have a successful career spouting nonsense and getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it, you know, shoot, I would take you know thirty grand and a cheeseburger at this point. Um, but it, I, I'd actually give that cheeseburger to Richard Robinson and say, "Eat some food." Um, I don't care if that food is hot Cheetos and Takis, which apparently we hit a nerve. We hit yeah. a legit. Did you nerve. watch that video yet? No, I haven't oh watched that God. video. Damn it. No, I've got, you know, I'm trying to sneak film sessions at work in between meetings with lots of people. So, no, yeah, I have not watched that about video. That life too. Yep. Yeah, right. Um, so, Richard Robinson, he definitely has had a couple of solid performances at cornerback. Um, he did definitely miss a press uh, in, I think it was game one, where it was like, whoa, he missed real bad. But that notwithstanding, he had a couple of really, really good plays. Even that one play where he like took his really, really long arm and went over the head of the wide receiver and batted down the football. Um, it was, you know, he's definitely using his length appropriately and he looked really good playing the fade down the sideline. I mean, this is a player who 
we were kind of dogged on earlier in the year, um, early in the offseason because of his P-Spark score. But at the very least, on the field, it looks like he can put it all together to have a decent performance against uh, the Denver Broncos. Yeah, I mean, this, it, again, at least for one preseason game, I thought he looked pretty pretty good. Um, you know, and he really kind of stood out among defensive backs in, in a game in which the, I think there were a lot of pretty good performances among 49ers defensive backs. I mean, you mentioned Chris Davis earlier. Uh, I thought he played really well in this game. I thought Dante Johnson looked good as well. Um, but Robinson probably stood out the most among that group uh, with it, with the time that he got there. So yeah, I think this is a guy who might, you know, exceed our expectations at least a little bit. I, uh, Still, still would be great for him to add a little bit of weight. Um, Eat a cheeseburger. But I, I think we saw in some more press situations this week, right? We didn't get to see a whole lot in that first game against the Texans, especially when you have the one that kind of sticks out that that he looked a little silly on. But uh, in, in this game, I think he looked a lot better, like was able to get into receivers a little bit more and, and kind of disrupt their release. Um, and then again, really looked, uh, like you mentioned, pretty solid down the sideline there, like playing those fade routes. He got a, quite a few opportunities to, to play those type of routes. Um, and that's something that you really want to see from a player with his size, right? He needs to be able to get good position on that receiver at the sideline, kind of squeeze him a little bit, force him wide, uh, and not give him a lot of room to operate there. And I think we, we saw that uh, in, the, again, a limited preseason sample, but um, it was certainly encouraging because I, I certainly didn't expect a whole lot from this guy uh, this regular season. And again, you, this is another position where you look at some of the legit battles that are going to have to happen. You've got Jimmy Ward and Tremaine Brock, which seem to be locks. And Chris Davis, I think, would be a lock at this point. That's three. You look at Dante Johnson, Rashard Robinson, Keith Reeser, Will Redmond. Will Redmond was... You know, a third or fourth. He was a third round third pick, rounder. wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's he's going to be on the roster because he's a third round pick this year. I mean, the injuries have uh, kept him out of the preseason, but there's zero chance that they're going to cut him and and let him like not yeah. be on the fifty three man roster. And they're not talking about him being a you know a bulky special where he's going to get on the the pup list or, or something like that. Which I guess he's already practiced, so he can't be on the pup yeah, list. Yeah, I think he, I think we're expecting him to play in in this third. Preseason yeah, in the game. preseason. Yeah. yeah, so this is going to be really a player that is battling with Keith Reeser and Kenneth Acker. And again, Kenneth Acker started thirteen games last year, and he's probably not going to make this team. And, and so this is again another area where these battles are going to be super important for what the defense is going to look like for the 49ers in 2016. But let's get to the arrow down section then. And this is someone who is a frequent contributor <laughs> to the arrow down section, if you will. But it's going to be one Mr. Eric, don't call me Pears Pears, who is revisiting his spot atop the arrow down section here at the Better Rivals podcast. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the themes with uh, with one exception this week in the arrow downs was some veteran players that that didn't look super great. I mean, when when you look at Piers, I, I gave up the sack, but he just kind of generally looked awful uh, in pass protection. And this was against backups, right? A lot of that was against like the third team defense there for Denver. So when you look at that, like arrow down, and and again, I mentioned at the top how normally with with any sort of veteran players, I'm not really looking at their preseason tape and, and making a determination one way or another. But when, 
you have somebody like Piers when his track record isn't very good already, and then he looks awful in the preseason against backups. I mean, really, with everything that we talked about at the top of the show with how this offensive line is shaping up, a performance like that really should be the nail in his coffin uh, for for his roster odds. Like, there there should be zero chance that he ends up being the swing tackle for this team. Uh, it just wouldn't make any sense uh, at this point. I, I can't I mean, see at, a way at this point. Anthony Davis might be the swing tackle. Oh God, don't say that. No, he's going to be in the starting lineup somewhere. Like, that's, I mean, that's uh, that's, that's, that's a legit possibility though. To, to think that's of. a legitimate wanna, possibility. I don't want to consider that yet. <laughs> well, you'll you things are going to be softening. I think over the course of the week, in terms of how you feel, you went from going to that. You know, this is definitely not going to happen. To I'm moving to guard. Uh, we'll see what happens after the end of preseason game number three. But you've got, of course, Mike Davis, who is going to populate the arrow down segment for the first time this preseason. And honestly, it's just about hanging on to the football. This is a player who still has some burst, still had some wiggle, still really performed well, all things considered. But ball security was a problem. I mean, this was you could call this the Mark Sanchez bull at this point. I mean, you've got fumble after fumble after fumble. I think it was three fumbles back to back to back that plagued everyone on both sides of the game uh, or on both sides of the field. So this is why Mike Davis is in the arrow down section. I guess you could put uh, Dewan Harris in this arrow down section as well. But ball security was something that was a definite concern and something I know the team is focused on in practices immediately after the game. Yeah, I... I mean, obviously, it's not good. I mean, there's a reason he's in in the arrow down section and, and having two fumbles specifically for him, uh, one on a screen pass, one on a run, like, not great. I don't think that that really changes my overall opinion of him, however. Like, uh, you look at how well he handled the ball, like, in college and even through his limited carries in, in uh, rookie season, He's this isn't a problem for him, you know, that's plagued him throughout his career. Like this is just kind of I'm chalking it up to a bad game at this point. Like I don't expect him to continue to have these sort of ball security issues. Uh, It's not great. Like he's got to figure it out. He's got to hang on to the football. But when you have a track record like that throughout college where you, you haven't really coughed up the ball that much, like I think all the positive things that we talked about with him after the first week and, and how he looks to be in better shape, he looks more athletic and like he looks quicker, every, everything like that still stands. Like I think you still saw those things in this game, but uh, got to figure out the ball situation. Can't, can't fumble twice. Well, I think at the end of the day, what we're happy about is that it happened in a preseason game, and that okay. way it didn't happen in a regular season game, and he knows that he can focus on it uh, and, and go from there. So next up on the parade of veterans that could lose a roster spot is going to be one Mr. Michael Wilhoyt. He is another veteran player that seems firmly behind Hodges and Ray Ray Armstrong at the inside linebacker position. You, you could see a platoon here. You could see, because the coaches mentioned that Michael Wolhoit's a bit better against the run, and Ray Ray Armstrong's a little bit better in coverage. And you've got Nick Ballore, who, of course, is, is a bit nicked up at the moment, but was another person that the team counted on on special teams. But Michael Wolhoit, it looks like that that story from undrafted free agent to starter might be reaching its its unfortunate end. Yeah, it's just hard to make a case for him at this point over one of the other guys that you mentioned. Like, 
you know, the, the experience is there, sure. But I think when you look at somebody like Hodges or Belor, like they're probably in the same tier of run defender as he is like that you probably don't lose really anything there by moving from Will Hoyt to one of those guys. And then, you know, Ray Ray Armstrong, certainly a a much better pass defender than really any of those guys, I think at this point. Um, And and he's looking impressive. He's looked impressive even in run defense, you know, so far this preseason, like there were a few plays where he took on a lead blocker and, and kind of jarred a dude back and, he just kind of looks really explosive at that position and uh, honestly looks far better than I expected. I mean, he was a player that I really kind of discounted, I think, before the preseason and, and didn't give strong consideration to as somebody that could actually make an impact this season. And so far, I think he's looked very good uh, over the course of the preseason these first two weeks. So when you look at Michael Wilhoyt, it's just, again, hard to make an argument that he should stick over one of those other guys. And then finally, you've got Antoine Bethay. This is not someone who's in danger of a roster spot. We're not saying that, oh, my God, cut Antoine Bethay and make room for, you know, one of the Cromarties. Um, I think we've got the least known Cromartie, uh, Marcus, I think. I got it wrong on another podcast that I was on earlier yeah. this week. No, I think you're right, uh, Marcus. Yeah. Marcus, Antoine. I, I think, though, that in, in what, I think it'll be 2030, we could have an all Cromartie defense. Like, like, yeah, because like one of the Cromarties has like 19 kids, right? So, oh yeah, that's uh, Antonio Cromartie. That's right, Antonio. So in in 2030, I'm hoping we get like an all Cromartie defense. One of my that's, uh, that's, fantasy that's football, the goal. One of my fantasy football team names, uh, like a couple years ago, was Cromartie's Broken Condoms in honor of Antonio Cromartie. Antonio Cromartie, yeah. right? Well, uh, so we're not saying that we're going to cut Antoine Bethay for one of the Cromarties, but we are saying that in this game. He took a couple of really bad angles. He got sucked up on play action, uh, I think. And again, we don't know the call, so it's a bit of a it's a bit of a guess here based on the way the defense was structured. But I think he was the guy who likely had a Virgil Green on that bootleg pass in the first quarter uh, that they, the Broncos were able to complete for a first down. He got sucked up on play action real hard, and it just was not a good game overall for Antoine Bethay. Again, not someone we think is in danger of losing a roster spot, but. Definitely someone that we think is going to be um, or really a player that if you're going to have a bad game, it's good to have it here in the preseason. But a player that is probably not long for this team. And this might be the last year that Antoine Bethay is a member of the San Francisco 49ers, especially given the young talent at the safety position. Yeah, with Bethay, I mean... I, I think he's still, it's hard to, to not name him one of the starting safeties this year, but obviously Jaquasi Attard is kind of marked for that position at some point. And uh, I, I think for at least this year, as long as Bethay doesn't kind of tank completely and, and really fall off a cliff there, like we're going to continue to see him play more traditional safety roles while we see Tart kind of do some other things and, and play some of that inside linebacker in your sub packages and, just kind of move around and do some different things. Like I think he's a little bit more multifaceted than, than Bethay is at this point in his career. So, but it, it, it could be a sign. I mean, we see it all the time with players, you know, over the age of 30, like eventually it just kind of ends for them and, and, and they fall off that cliff pretty quickly. So uh, it's, it's something to watch. I mean, I'm not overly concerned with one bad preseason game by any means, but 
something to keep track of over the course of the season. And, and, and if this continues, then maybe we start to see Jaquaski Tart take on more of a, a full-time role. Well, now we're going to get to the second installment of the three installments that we have of the NFC West Divisional Previews. And joining us this week is one Mr. Brandon Schultz. I've been lucky to be on the Seahawkers pod. There are a couple of great guys, and they've had me on a couple times on their podcast. And so we invited Brandon on our show to review the 2015 season for the Seahawks and to project the 2016 season for Seattle as well. Now, we're trying some new things with this audio recording. We Last week, I think we recorded everyone on Skype, and so there were some audio issues. This year, we're trying a whole new kind of service thing that I just discovered this week. It's called Zencaster. I swear to God, this is not like a sponsored post. I'm just being completely <laughs> transparent about all the shit that we're dealing with to try and make this remote podcast happen. So we recorded it. I'll save you the mumbo jumbo, but it, if it sucks, it's David's fault. And this week, our divisional previews run along. And of course, we're going to go in reverse order of how we think the division is going to finish. Sorry, Brandon. But we've got Brandon Schultz with us from the Seahawkers podcast. You can follow Brandon on Twitter at Seahawkers pod. You can also catch them on their website, SeahawkersPodcast.com. Brandon, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, we, we, I did an interview on your show a couple weeks back. We've you know connected on Twitter over the last couple of years. We are both uh, battling the rankings of iTunes for a mean 194 and 195. You know, it, the, the rivalry is strong, even on iTunes. It is a desperate battle, but fortunately, it's just preseason. Those rankings don't mean anything. And uh, we'll get you guys in the regular season. We're out here talking about practice, is what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. Talking about practice. Uh, so, yeah, that's actually... Game. We should make that just the theme of this of every preseason. Just call it, like, practice episode one and just, just throw random stuff out there. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk a bit about the Seahawks in it. And every week, we kind of like, like to look back at 2015 and take some of the biggest takeaways. And really, for the Seahawks, the biggest takeaway from 2015 was their incredible consistency. This is a team that finished their fourth consecutive year at the top of the DVOA rankings. It's a four-peat, and they only have nine games with a negative DVOA since 2012. I mean, even though they didn't end uh, with a ring, luckily, they still had remarkable consistency and played really well, especially down the stretch after a bit of a dubious beginning. So you know, what? explain to us what the hell happened in 2015 and how you ended with, again, tops in the league in DVOA, but still couldn't make it to the, to the big dance. Well, the defense really likes to turn it on toward the second half of the year. You know, Coach Carroll is always preaching finish to the team. And unfortunately, it seems like they, they don't get the message toward the, the start of the season. And and last year, when the Seahawks, throughout the first half of the season, couldn't decide on who they wanted to play center uh, and, and experimented with another defensive lineman to offensive line conversion for the first half of the season before actually transitioning, to an actual center. It seemed like that's what really turned this uh, the season around for the on the offensive side. And then, and then on the defensive side, it was getting rid of Kerry Williams, a quarterback who uh, was a disaster. So once they, it seemed like once they made those two adjustments, then the Seahawks were back to what we were kind of used to as Seahawks fans. I think looking at the, the other side of the ball on offense, I think one of the big things that, that jumped out to me at least, and I, and I know a lot of people are talking about this uh, throughout the offseason, but it was, it was how the offense transitioned right from a very similar to the Harbaugh Niners where it was we were one of the only two teams that were still very much run-first offense 
play good defense, kind of win these lower scoring matchups. Um, but you saw that kind of switch midway through last year where it really became Russell Wilson's offense. I mean, the the seven game stretch that he had there towards the end of the season was one of the better stretches we've seen by a quarterback. Uh, I mean, really in league history by some measures. So uh, it was really pretty impressive by him. Ended up leading Seattle to the number one offensive ranking in DVOA, which again, when you look back at, you know, Seattle's offense before last year, sure, are they efficient? Yes, but not really this like explosive uh, offense that you're really super overly concerned about. Um, and again, he did this without Marshawn Lynch, without Jimmy Graham for, for basically the entire run there. So what is it that you think changed with Wilson? Um, and I think the big question going forward is uh, he may not be able to, to really reach that level for a full season because I mean, historically great's historically great for a reason. It's hard to reproduce, but how far down from that do we see him, you know, kind of going forward here? I think the, the biggest thing with Wilson was just that he, you saw him get into a rhythm in that second half and throughout the first half, when you are wondering if you're going to have to start running for your life, you know, two to three seconds after the ball snapped, then it makes it tough to get into a rhythm. And and when he started just getting the ball out that much more quickly, when they had a little bit more consistency on the offensive line, that's when I think we really started to see a difference in Russell Wilson. And yeah, the crazy thing was is that Jimmy Graham going down and not having Marshawn Lynch in there, it, you wouldn't expect the team to to suddenly get better. Uh, you know, especially, well, Jim, Jimmy Graham was just starting to come on at that point. And, and fortunately, Doug Baldwin was kind of the recipient uh, toward the, the end of the season. But as far as regression goes, I we still have high expectations for, for Russell Wilson. And and I, I still think this is going to be a, a primarily a running team with the way Pete Carroll likes to run the ball, having Thomas Rawls coming back from injury, Kristen Michael seemingly back to form of, well, in his preseason form, which we seem to see every preseason, but now we have that experience that he's drawn upon from the end of last year when he was filling in after Rawls went out. It kind of, it feels like we have a different Kristen Michael than, than we've had in the past. He's actually changing hands with the ball. And I, you know, that wouldn't normally seem like something to be excited about, but Seahawks fans very excited because we've, wa- we watched Kristen Michael run with the ball just in his right hand, not switching. And, and we've seen it in two preseason games now, guys actually switch hands. And for a Seahawks fan, I, you, you wouldn't know how exciting that is for us. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, with, with Wilson, so you guys in his, I'm assuming this is kind of the the feel among Seahawks fans and and, and whatnot is that it's still going to be a run first offense and and they're not really going to rely more on Russell Wilson and kind of put the offense on his back and uh, become more of a pass first team. That's not something that you a direction you see this team going this year. I don't think I see it being a pass first team, but I do still see this being Russell Wilson's team. And one thing that we continue to see in year in year out from Russell Wilson is that that efficiency, right? He's incredibly he he knows where to go with the ball. Uh, he he's generally Doug Baldwin, one of the more efficient wide receivers. Tyler Lockett seemingly is going to be an efficient receiver as well. You know when they when they throw the ball to those guys, they're they're catching it. Uh, very few drops, and it, we've seen Russell Wilson leading the league in passer rating. In fact, for his career passer rating, he's right up there with Aaron Rodgers. So. 
with in these past four seasons, we're starting to see, I think, what what we're going to get out of Russell Wilson, and that's going to be a you know highly efficient quarterback and and a guy with a high passer rating. So, if you've been listening to any of the fantasy watchers and you're thinking about drafting a running back from Seattle, of course, that player is Thomas Rawls. Everyone seems to be on the Thomas Rawls train, even though that golden boy used to be Christine Michael. What is it about Thomas Rawls' game that has everyone just kind of a flutter in Seattle about thinking that he is going to be an easy plug-and-play replacement about Mar- uh, uh, for Marshawn Lynch? I think the thing that has us most excited from last year is, well, one, he led the league in yards per carry with over 5.6, I think it was 5.6 yards per carry. And he's a guy that, like Marshawn Lynch, he doesn't want to go out of bounds. You, you see him staying in bounds a little bit longer and willing to kind of punish anybody who comes to try and get him out of bounds. And that, that's different from Kristen Michael. He's, you know, much more, um, you know, he'll, he'll run out of bounds to avoid contact. And, and so he's kind of like a mini beast mode, I guess, in, in that respect, uh, Thomas Rawls is. And I think that's why he's still the favorite to, uh, to kind of be the replacement. So let's then switch over to the defensive side of the ball and let's talk a little bit about some of these offseason roster changes because the last year, you know, you, you got swept by St. Louis. And actually, I actually do want to ask you about this before we move on to the offseason additions and subtractions. Swept by St. Louis, man. What is it about St. Louis? Why, why, that do, why do we have to bring this up, Oscar? We, because <laughs> this is this is the glimmer of hope. This is the I mean, they, they it's both losses. One of your worst performances of the season based on DVOA, was that that first game against St. Louis. I mean, overall, DVOA was negative 30%. Um, and even though your defense still performed really well, I mean, that offense, man, it, it took some time to get on track. Now, you had even some poor performances on offense against Chicago, Detroit. But but what is it about the way that Seattle plays that just completely and utterly has the Seahawks flummoxed? I, you know, it's it's been a, almost a year now. I, I don't still think about the fact that Nick Foles beat us in week one. I, I don't still think about the fact that we lost on a Marshawn Lynch one-yard run that, that finished off overtime. Um, and the fact that St. Louis cont- or, or Los Angeles, who they, who they are now, uh, <laughs> the fact that Jeff Fisher always breaks out some crazy play uh, to try and keep uh, his team in the game against us i they that team drives me nuts and i think you know how much how much i really dislike the rams and uh i don't i don't appreciate you bringing it up but uh i think i think this is going to be a better year because one uh for the seahawks uh they still they they don't know um well i think they have an idea that that case keenum's going to be the starter early on i don't think jared goff is going to be the quarterback early so and if they do bring up back Goff, that's going to be the first home game for him with Seattle going down to Los Angeles. That would be a lot to ask for a rookie quarterback to start that game against a defense like the Seahawks. And I know they're going to have a big crowd there. They've been showing up in preseason. But uh, I, I think we take the at least the first game against the Rams this year. So looking at some of the other uh, moves he made this offseason, I mean, not a lot happened in free agency, which... Uh, isn't terribly unsurprising, but one, the one name on there that I thought was interesting was just uh, was Brandon Browner for the fact that he's coming back to Seattle, right? Obviously, he was there with you guys before. Um, what is the feeling with that cornerback spot opposite of Sherman? I mean, is is Browner somebody that's actually contending for that spot? Because, 
I mean, certainly things didn't go well in New Orleans. Uh, you know, he's kind of a somebody that's a little bit of grabby and, and draws a lot of penalties. So is he somebody that you're looking to for that other spot opposite of Sherman? Or are we looking uh, another direction and he's just kind of more a, a depth body? Well, one thing, one other thing we did see from the Seahawks is they re-signed Jeremy Lane. And that's and, and to a six million dollar contract. And as Seahawks fans, we were excited to see that signing, especially after uh, the disaster at the opposite corner position. Um, and and so we have a guy that's within the system that I think I think you'll see him get the start uh, on on that spot opposite Sherman, and then move inside, and you'll see Deshaun Shed, uh, who actually played a lot of uh, of that spot last season uh, opposite Sherman. Uh, when they were in nickel situation. So because I'm really, I'm really glad that you said his name before I had a chance to, because I totally would have said Sheed. (laughs) Like we, we, you know, we're known, we're known on this podcast for our pronunciation prowess. I mean, this is one of the things that we, we, I think it might even be in our iTunes description is, is (laughs) how good we are at pronouncing names. And I was going to go straight Sheed. Well, you want to take a shot at a Taba Rubin too? Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry, who? (laughs) A Taba Rubin. A, a Taba Rubin? Is that a sandwich? <laughs> I'll have an Ataba Rubin. That D-tack. sounds delicious. It's like the same thing. It's, yeah, it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining like a tuna sandwich and then a Rubin on top of it, and that's a Taba Rubin. <laughs> I kind of want one now. <laughs> right? I told you, it sounds delicious. I mean, there's got to be a sandwich place in Seattle that's taken advantage of that, right? I, I sure hope so. I, I really do. Because if they're not, that's a, clearly a missed opportunity. But to go well, back to you Brandon Browner, you know, we, I, historically, the Seahawks are notorious for not being able to cover tight ends. And it was something that we even saw in the preseason game against the Vikings. Uh, the Blair, uh, who's the, the dude that he used to play for you guys? Uh, Hill. Uh, Sean Hill, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The quarterbacks. Yeah. <laughs> Tried to forget about that. One of yeah. those guys. He's been around forever. Uh, but he he just at will uh, just threw it to his tight end, I, I think, for the entire first half. And and that's what I thought that the Seahawks brought Brandon Browner in to do was cover tight ends and situational football to be able to to lock down that guy. And, and we haven't seen it in the preseason. So I don't know if they're just holding on to him to, to throw out that secret weapon uh, once the season starts, or maybe I just have to accept that the Seahawks are just going to be bad at covering tight ends. One of the other players that left in free agency was Bruce Irvin. He signed a contract with the Raiders. He was an undersized guy that really you would think if anyone could get the most out of him, it would be someone like a Pete Carroll and, you know, kind of what what was the the sentiment in Seattle when he left? Was it more of like a eh, NBD or was it like, a oh, no, we're really not going to have anyone to get, you know, five and a half sacks this year? Well, I think the sense was, is that you can't pay everybody on defense. And when you have two of your linebackers, K.J. Wright and uh, Bobby Wagner, uh, when you have those two guys and you're already paying them, uh, it makes it hard to pay a third one, especially when you want to invest in the defensive line, when you have so much money tied up in the secondary. It just, when they didn't uh, take up Irvin's fifth-year option, I think it was kind of the writing on the wall for the for the Seahawks that they weren't going to bring him back. And it is kind of a bummer because he is so versatile. 
Uh, right now we're looking at Mike Morgan filling that spot, which he's been with Pete Carroll since USC days. I think he's he's played on Pete Carroll's team for like 10 years now. It's something crazy. But uh, and that's who we're looking at. And to it, it, it's fine. It's clearly Bruce Irvin, far more talented. But uh, it's just one of those realities when uh, when you have so much money tied up in the defense. So one of the things you mentioned there, if we kind of shift gears a little bit to some of the big questions coming up for 2016 here is uh, the the idea that you can't pay everybody, right? Like you, you guys were very fortunate to have a couple of excellent drafts, to have a lot of very good players on rookie contracts. And now some of those players have started to to get the, the second contracts, right, that pay them uh, more what they're worth. And, and it's hard to keep that depth when you start handing out contracts like that. So what's your feeling as to the, the overall like talent on the roster, the depth that you have? Um, it, Cause one of the things I found interesting, I was actually listening to Danny Kelly talk about this a little bit on one of the ringer preview podcasts. And he had mentioned that, uh, you know, he kind of feels like this Seattle roster is maybe as talented as it was, or at least close to the, the Super Bowl team. So, what what's your feeling with where this roster is at overall? Do you feel like it's more top heavy because of that can't pay everyone sort of idea, or, or this team is still as deep as it was, you know, over the last few years? Well, we're we're seeing the Seahawks try something uh, a little bit unique, and that's don't pay anybody on the offensive line. Like if you're if you're due more than five million, we we saw Russell Okun go to. Uh, the Denver Broncos for just barely over five million a season. Our our top paid uh, free agent acquisition on the offensive line was Jamarcus Webb, who has been inconsistent throughout his career, and he hasn't even showed up uh, in a game yet uh, due to injuries in in the preseason. So our top paid offensive lineman may not even make the team. And and really, that's where the salary savings has come from that allows you to pay. And and then it, with Marshawn Lynch leaving, too, uh, and that's a big loss. Uh, but that's another area where you save a little bit of money. And now you have Thomas Rawls and, and Kristen Michael on on, um, you know, low end deals where uh, it, they're sa- that's where they're saving their money that allows them to resign um, Doug Baldwin here in this offseason and, and keep. Um, you know, Jimmy Graham on the roster. And, and now that we have to pay Russell Wilson. So that's, that's where we're seeing that savings come in. I mean, does, does it matter? Offensive line real quick, right? Like, yeah, I was going to say, let's okay. dig into this because it, it does it even matter that they're terrible. I mean, again, we talked on the front of the show. They're the, they're the best offense based on DVOA for the whole year, but you look at the individual players and they're flat out terrible. <laughs> I mean, their adjusted sack rate for the year was 30th in the league. You look at their number of blown blocks player by player, and they're generally the guys that blow blocks. And now you've got players like Effetti, who's an unproven rookie. You've got Britt at the center, who's, again, pretty terrible. It is, but yet they still manage to get some offensive production. So everyone's freaking out about the offensive line, but does it matter that they're terrible, or is this actually going to catch up with Russell Wilson and that offense this year? I, well, historically, it hasn't mattered that it's terrible, right? The, with the Seahawks going in 2013, that was probably their best offensive line. And then they start Justin Britt at right tackle, go back to the Super Bowl the year after. Uh, we see the Denver Broncos last year, who didn't have a great offensive line. The, you know, Carolina's was probably one of the top offensive line performers, I, I think, that were in the playoffs. Uh, Arizona wasn't 
all that stellar. So it, it seems like teams are getting by with poor offensive line play. And and maybe that's where the, the Seahawks just see if, if we're if that's going to be uh, what we're going to get anyway, why even pay one or two guys and and maybe just make Tom Cable coach all those guys up? The interesting thing we're seeing, though, here in the preseason is we're seeing Justin Britt at center now seemingly be the position that he was born to play. Everybody says that he looks like he's been playing center for, for forever. And then we had uh, a rookie, Mark Lewinsky, move over to the left guard and then signed Jermaine Effetti to play right guard. And now... Through these first two games, we feel like we have an interior offensive line that can actually protect Russell Wilson from the pass rush up the middle. And if he can get away from the guys on the outside, like he's done, you know, the pirouette moves, uh, you know, his his patented you know, spin out of a, a sack move and and look downfield, maybe that's what we what we live with. And so far, it, we've seen Russell Wilson do Russell Wilson things in those situations. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to to not have that perspective when you've been watching him, because I feel like we asked we had uh, Danny on last year to talk about the Seahawks and preview them. And I feel like we asked him the exact same question. It's just something that that pops up every year with them. But um, I kind of wanted to stick with the offense because I, I feel like that's the more interesting area this team going in. I mean, the defense, there's a little bit of change, but we pretty much expect them to be, you know, very good. One of the better defenses in the league. And until we see something different there, there's really no reason to expect otherwise. But one of the things that you touched on earlier was, you know, when we're talking about Wilson, was this development of the wide receivers that were there. I mean, Baldwin had a big year, obviously Tyler Lockett. He's a player that I really like. Um, that I think that I think develop into a really good player. So this went from a division that had three just awful wide wide receivers. Basically, everybody but the Cardinals were in really rough shape there. And then now, all of a sudden, you look at the Seahawks, and after last year, um, you kind of look at them in a different light. So I guess my question is: Were you surprised at that kind of massive leap in performance from the receivers there? And do you think that's something that was kind of uh, a more random one-off thing, or do you think that sort of improvement is something that's here to stay? I'm really excited about this group of receivers, and because they have kind of continued to grow with Wilson, um, I just I just like kind of their scrappy nature too. And you, Doug Baldwin is an undrafted uh, free agent, and then uh, Jermaine Curse, who comes up clutch in so many situations. Um, and and then you have the you know third round pick Tyler Lockett, and and then another guy who we haven't seen a whole lot of due to injury, um, Paul Richardson, second round pick a couple years ago. So they have a lot of speed um, with with a couple of those guys, and you know Doug Baldwin, a great possession receiver. You can always go to him on third down, and he seems to be the most in sync with Russell. And we really saw uh, how that came together. Uh, toward the tail end of last year. You know, those guys always seem to be on the same page. I, Baldwin had some nine touchdowns in, you know, over like a four-game stretch. And I think it, he tied Jerry Rice over that that stretch. So when you're in when you're in company like that over even a short period of time, uh, I know it, it makes me pretty excited. But that was really the question mark with this group was, was are these receivers going to be able to... And, and I don't know if they, they just don't get the credit they deserve based off of uh, the fact that it's not a passing team. You know, Russell's not going to go out there and throw it 40 times in a game. 
Uh, so maybe based off of the, the efficiency uh, aspect of it, maybe if he were to throw it 40 times a game, we saw Golden Tate go over to the Lions and have Matt Stafford, who, who chucks the ball up all the time, you know, have a 1,000-yard season. So it kind of it makes me wonder, but I, I think that they just have guys that fill in their roles well. Uh, you know, Tom Cable likes the fact that they block well uh, as a running team. So I, I think we don't... The one thing we don't have, right, is that six six, you know, big guy that you can just chuck the ball up to, unless you count Jimmy Graham, uh, and and they really we didn't get to see a whole lot of them in that role, um, and and maybe we start to see that more this year. I think the last question then for 2016 and what we think the team is going to look like really goes back to this idea of consistency. Is Seattle going to finish first in DVOA for a fifth year in a row? <laughs> I mean, you, you know, kind of give us your answer and then give us the why and the why not, given everything that you know about the team and the changes and, and what you're looking from the team in, in 2016. Well, I think with the defense being as consistent as they are and, and allowing so few points, they, all, over that period too, they've been uh, the, the lowest or the top scoring defense, you know, they, they've allowed the fewest amount of points over those four years. So it kind of, it helps the offense in that similar way, right? The, it's not just, uh, and, and you see this argument come up all the time, right? With Russell Wilson, oh, is Russell Wilson good? Or is he just a product of having a good defense that allows him to, uh, you know, be, to not have to put the, the game in his hands. Is um, Joe Flacco elite? <laughs> right. <laughs> No, I, I would say the answer to that question is no. Uh, <laughs> Wrong answer. <laughs> now, I'm going to do my best Joe Flacco impression and answer that question. And I say, yes, uh, as Joe Flacco, Joe Flacco is del- is, is elite. <laughs> but I, you know, to go tops in DVOA five years in a row, I, it's crazy that it's been four years in a row. So, But they haven't really done anything to to show me that they're going to regress i they've they have lost a couple pieces here and there um and and maybe that that loss of marshawn lynch is going to be but we we lost him last year and and we we saw the seahawks go on the great run toward the end so you know what i am just going to go ahead and say oscar that yes it's going to be a fifth straight year there it is. Own it. Just own up to it. Just do it. I am. Be the homer you know you want to be. I, 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 I live it every week. <laughs> so if you ask my record I, I, uh, for the Seahawks, I say they go 16-0 too, because why would I predict a loss, Oscar, even even though they have oh, lost to the Rams twice uh, last season? And, don't and do that. Once. I, we'll get to your real <laughs> prediction in a minute. Okay. <laughs> David, do you have any questions about 2016 before we get to one of my favorite parts of the entire show? David? He just ejected after I said 16 and 0, didn't he? Yeah, apparently. Oh, he said BRB, need a beer. <laughs> Back. <laughs> yeah, dude, you can't, you can't, I, I'm not, I'm not used to this whole Zencaster thing. You got to let me know if you're going to duck out for a beer. I can't see you like normal. I know, it's weird. I didn't know what to do. I just... Type you needed something. a beer and you had to you just typed it into the nether space yeah i like i would i, I sent I you an i need a beer okay give me a break get off my we back. had i messages open we've got zencasters chat we had skype open i'm just saying let me I know mean, before you skype go okay i message nearly blew my eardrums out so 
I tried to go with the silent <laughs> option. <laughs> silent and SPD, silent but drunk. Got it. Um, so <laughs> let's get to my. At? Yeah, where are we Oscar, at? We're, we're about to. I was you, saying, David, and you weren't there for for any final question. Yeah, you were there. You were not. You did not run the right pattern. I threw an in. You ran an out. It, you know, miscommunication on the route well, is what I'm saying. Audible, you know, my my shoe came off. I needed to get it taped up again. All right, we're not running this Mike Martz sight adjustment offense. We know the play. Um, man, that was like next level, like football humor is all I'm saying, but let's get to the lightning round. Let's, we're going to give you right now, seven could be more depending on if we add some more questions in the middle of the lightning round, because you know, we're breezy. It, it were breezy is all I'm going to say. Uh, but we're going to go through and I, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, so I may be slow, but I, I will do my best Oscar. That's okay. That's all right. Just give us your your like word association first answer that comes out of your mouth. I want to hear what you think, and then we'll move right along. Question number one. How does it feel to know that Texas A&M owns your most prized fan monkier? Go. We're 12s now, so screw A&M. Yeah, but you're still paying them money. <laughs> uh, number two. Was Jimmy Graham worth the first-round pick? Go. Yes. Number three, we'll see. No, it wasn't. Number three, we'll Seattle be the team of the tens. And, well, you want to go back to that because actually we got Jimmy Graham for a fourth <laughs> lightning round. round. <laughs> lightning round. Okay. We'll, <laughs> we'll Seattle be the team of the tens. A team of the tens. I know it's because it's twenty tens. It doesn't really work in the same way that like the nineties or the eighties or oh, the seventies oh, work. Like but a, like, okay, like all decade. Team, team of the decade. Team of the decade. There you go. That's Absolutely. my guy. We're already there. This is the golden years for Seattle. Only one Super Bowl. Interesting. Why the hell are you wearing an OU hat? <laughs> Boomer Sooner, baby. By the way, and that's just to hat bug you, with Oscar. two T's for those of you, which is everybody but me and Oscar that can't see Correct. our agenda. I spelled OU hat as someone with an OU education would spell it. <laughs> OU Solid point. hat Continue. with two T's. Number I, five. I did get my, my graduate does... degree from, from OU. This was not undergrad, Oscar. Ah, okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I went to graduate school at UT. Makes sense. I, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Uh, number five. Why does your new guard, Effetti, have arms shorter than a 12-inch ruler? Go. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> that's why he's guard. He's not, that's, why, that's why they moved him in from right tackle, I suppose. Genetics. Next. <laughs> <laughs> number six. Hey, David, Will you get swept by Los Angeles? No. Will you get swept by Los Angeles? One and one. <laughs> it's an improvement. All right. And finally, unless David's got one, uh, number seven, who leads the team in receiving? Doug Baldwin. Second straight mm, year, over 1,000 yards. Interesting. Interesting. All right, David, do you have any you want to throw in there in the lightning round? No, I'm out. I think, uh, I think we covered it. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you answering some of the lightning round questions <laughs> probably tapped you out. Do what I can. <laughs> <laughs> all right so get, there, uh, david <laughs> so we've covered kind of a recap of 2015 and talked about the this kind of really really historic run of dvoa at the top some arrivals and departures terrible offensive lines some burning questions for 2016 uh, and an awesome lightning round so really all that's left is your real life prediction not your 16 and no homer prediction about how the the Seahawks are going to finish the season and where you think they will finish in the NFC West. Well, I do like them to finish first because 
Carson Palmer, uh, we can just count on him to go down to injury at least some point this year. He can't go another full season. You know, if you were to zoom back, if you were to zoom back 12 months to the season preview podcast we did last year for the the Arizona Cardinals, you would hear David and I saying almost verbatim (laughs) the exact same thing. You can't count on Carson Palmer for a full 16 games. Aaron Donald's going to kill him. And if Aaron Donald doesn't kill him, someone else will. Like a strong gust of wind. Doesn't mean it's not and true then, for this year. Yeah. And then there he goes. And he has an out-of-his-mind bonkers year, a year that I would argue is better than Russell Hustle Bustles. And and so, you know, I mean, it's, it's an interesting proposition, but you're, you're banking on the fragility of, of Carson Palmer's bones to ensure a first-place finish for your Seattle Seahawks. I'm not banking on it, but I will say that that is more likely to happen than for him to have a repeat of last season. Agreed. <laughs> David, David are you are, who's, whose podcast are you on? <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, Carson Palmer's frail, man. Like, you got to play those odds just because it was wrong last year doesn't mean it's still not the safe bet and who knows maybe Carson Palmer's got some sort of voodoo magic down there from Bruce Arians Kangol uh that's keeping him (laughs) healthy but I doubt it so I'm gonna go that Carson Palmer's probably not gonna play all 16 games um I mean it's like Sam Bradford Sam Bradford is due to have a 16 game season because he's been injured the last three right so this this will be the one year for Sam Bradford. That's the gambler's fallacy. fallacy. That's the gambler's Don't fallacy. It. Don't do it to yourself. Oh, God. <laughs> you lose all, all right, your well, money. <laughs> this is how Vegas becomes Vegas. So you've, you've got them finishing first in the division, but what's their final record? I am going to go with 13-3 and three because, yes, I, I do think Ooh. one loss to the Rams is, is probably going to happen, right? I think a loss to the Cardinals, very, it could be very likely to happen. The Cardinals have a good team. And I think they they do have to go on the road and play New England. And you know, after a four-game suspension, that Tom Brady is probably just going to come out and, and win every game based on spite. Now, I know he's 39 years old, and he's he's due for a drop-off season, too. But I, I don't know. That's a guy that I don't bank on uh, to have a, a drop-off season, much like I do Carson Palmer. So for context, the only time that y'all have gone 13 and three during the, the kind of Pete Carroll resurgence of Seahawks era was 2013, that Super Bowl year, y'all went 13 and three. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's lofty, man. And You've been 11 and five, 13, three, 12 and four, 10 and six. So, uh, so are you predicting then a Super Bowl year? Is that what's on the horizon? That is what we have been predicting all preseason. It feels like when you go back and after that 2012 season, you had that, it, it was a very similar feeling to that loss to Carolina last year because the, the Seahawks were down 20 to nothing to the Atlanta Falcons at halftime. Russell Wilson leads them all the way back to a comeback. They actually have the lead and, and then they lose uh, in, it, to a last second field goal that sends Atlanta to San Francisco, right? And yep. yeah, it was for, that loss. I, I I thought I'd pick you guys up just a little bit, take you back to that season. And, uh, but, but it was after that year that kind of propelled the team that, that made them hungry, I think for that Super Bowl run. And I think that is helping them, uh, uh, through the off season, you hear all their attitudes, just a, a lot. You hear a lot different attitude going into this season from the team than we did last season. 
All right. Well, that does it for the Seahawks preview. Thanks for joining us, Brandon. It's, it really is a, pre- it was a pleasure having you on. Also a pressure, um, <laughs> but it was definitely uh, a pleasure having you on, Brandon. And if you want to hear some more sounds from the Seahawks, kind of know your enemy type of stuff, definitely catch the Seahawkers podcast at SeahawkersPodcast.com. And you can follow Brandon at SeahawkersPod. Brandon, thanks for coming on, dude. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, that about does it for this week's edition of the Niners Nation Better Rivals podcast. And before we go, before I kick this outro theme music in, really, I'm going to go ahead and thank uh, one Mr. Smathis on the Niners Nation comments because he has one question for David. And I think it's a very relevant question. I think it's a question that needs to be asked. Uh, So, Smathis, thank you for this question. Really, the question is, David, now that you are in Pittsburgh, are you turning into a, and I quote, douchey butt pirate what true story in the comments wow. Niners nation comments it, it, it i need to ask you apparently if you're turning into a douchey butt pirate um yeah he said I, I don't know what that is but that would be funny i mean i think that's probably a question for like you or somebody else to to answer right like if i were to turn into a douchey butt pirate i don't think i would know it uh i think you would know it i think you would know it by the smell you can always tell by the smell. I can't tell by the smell. So if that gives wow. you your answer, don't think I'm a douchey butt pirate. Well, not yet, but there's still time. There <laughs> still is time, still time. time. That's yet. right. Thanks again to the Barbary Sound for putting together the custom outro and intro music for the Better Rivals podcast. Thanks again to everyone who's left a review on iTunes. They definitely help people find the show, and it helps us move up the rankings. And really, we want to beat the Seahawks. Even if we can't beat them on the field, let's beat them in the iTunes rankings. Seriously, go and that click means... five stars like a bunch of times. Great new yep. iTunes accounts. Like, it's fine. It'll be okay. Yeah, we promise. It'll be just fine creating new iTunes accounts. There's no uh, iTunes we may even... police that's going to prevent you from doing that. Like, no, go create there is some no accounts, iPolice. leave some five-star reviews. It's going to be cool. That's right. And if you've gotten this far, then, of course, you know the call to action this week is going to be hashtag Gabdrapond. Um, or that's, or that's, your favorite. I'm going to open it up a little bit. Or your favorite combination of those three people's names. Um, yeah, maybe, I want to hear it. Maybe What's... some people will come up with some better things than we could. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Not likely. I love Gabdrapond. <laughs> Gabdrapond. It reminds me of Fermilon. What what show does that end? Fermilon. I have no idea what you're talking about. Right it's now. at the end of some show. It might be like Thirty Rock or something. Well, I'm sure the Twitters will remind me, but. But yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a great, interesting week. Of course, we got the Friday game, which we're super excited about. I'm excited about it. it's Green Bay. So Colin excited Kaepernick that I'm is coming not back. even gonna watch it live this week. So. I know I'm probably gonna watch it live, uh, but that's just because I'm a weirdo. No, um, the only reason so yeah, I'm calling, like you know, got some PFF stuff gonna be gonna be charting another. Oh, game. that's right. Yeah. You got work to got do. Work. <laughs> well, thanks again as always for listening. Tune in again next week. We will be back on Wednesday evening reviewing the game against the Packers. Let's see what Kaepernick has got to offer, and we'll see if he can begin to wrestle this job away from Yo Gabba Gabbert or hashtag Gabbapond. So thanks again for listening, and as always, go Niners. We're going to clap on a silent four. One, two, three. 
That was actually pretty close. That wasn't that much of a lag. No, we nailed that. It could have been that one of y'all just doesn't have rhythm, you know, and that's entirely possible. I'm I'm kind of like the jerk uh, with the snapping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or... I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs> <laughs> 